Welcome to Stories of Faith and Hope, the podcast that inspires your faith and gives you reason to hope. I'm your host, Pastor Joel Sutherland, and I am so excited that you've chosen to join us this week for another story of faith and hope. You know, one of my favorite books is written by C.S. Lewis, and it's titled Screwtape Letters. Now, it's a collection of, of letters that he wrote from the point of an older demon basically giving advice to a younger demon named Wormwood. And there's one part, you know, it, it, it's really interesting because, you know, everything is flipped around. It's a, it's a method of reverse teaching and, and, you know, he's trying to teach his demon the best way to, you know, ensnare humans. And it's said, of course, there is written during the World War II and uh, from the English point of view. And in letter six of the Screwtape Letters, there's an interesting quote. He says, do what you will. There's going to be some benevolence as well as some malice in your patient's soul. The great thing is to direct the malice to his immediate neighbors whom he meets every day and to thrust his benevolence out to the remote circumference to people he does not know. In other words, what he's saying is it's better for us to look at our neighbors, the people around us with some kind of hatred and and save all of our goodwill and good deeds for things that you know we will never see, the people that we'll never meet. The in this case in World War II, you know, for the soldiers that are out fighting, um, save your benevolence for them, but yet the people around you, your family, you know, convince humans not to treat them very nicely. Well, there's something that I think us in North America sometimes don't really think about, and that is that we have a mission field here. It's so easy to think about foreign missions and to think about people in other countries and do all of our benevolence and charity and give our money to support that. And yet the people around us, we don't seem to care about. Our neighbor annoys us. Our you know, family, we have to live with them. But these are the people that God calls us to serve. And today, our guest is Pastor Ignacio Silverio. He is um, the associate pastor of Madison Campus Church in Nashville, and he's a good friend of mine, and we call him Pastor Nacho, but he shares what his family's philosophy is regarding this and how he believes that even though he is a pastor here in the United States, in the city of Nashville, that he and his wife and his family are still missionaries. I hope that this interview and and his story inspires you and that you will realize that even here in the United States, we can be missionaries. I have been living in Nashville for about five years now, and I pastor, I'm the associate pastor at Madison Campus, and I lead young adults and family ministry okay. at campus. Good, good. And uh, and you or before that you were from California. Yeah, I was raised in California uh, my entire life. I uh, came to faith actually through a breakup I was dating then, uh, who will eventually call become my wife Paulina, and uh, she broke up with me. Uh, <laughs> and I was just 
more than heartbroken. I was uh, more confused than anything else, trying to figure out why she broke up with me. And the reason she gave was I didn't have God as a priority. Mm. So for me, I was just trying to figure out, well, if this is important for you, I want to figure out what it's about uh, before I want to continue in this, mm-hmm. if I even do. So I started searching. I started reading my Bible, and, and God just moved. Wow. Um, Our original goal was not to be a pastoral family. We moved to Southern uh, thinking we were going to be missionaries. Mm. And um, one thing led to another. And eventually we took a call with Kentucky Tennessee Conference. And after seminary, landed here in Nashville. We've been here ever since. Wow. Um, I have. So yeah, we've been married 13 years. We have four boys. Oh, great. Wow. Yeah, we have that. David. Samuel, Daniel, and Esteban. The last two are twins. So. <laughs> Very good. Wow. Ignacio, this is Dr. Yep. Henderson. What part of California did you grow up in? Um, I grew up uh, right there in Redlands, believe it or not. So, Where? Uh, Redlands, for those who don't know, it, um, oh. it's right next to Loma Linda. And Loma Linda is like this huge yeah. mecca. I went to school at Loma Linda. So, um, My I wife grew up, grew up, up in Oxnard. Yeah, I never had actually anyone interact with me who was a Seventh-day Adventist uh, before I met Paulina. Oh, wow. Eventually yeah. found my wife. Uh, wow. Yeah, Dr. Henderson, he uh, he went to school there in Loma Linda. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So we it seems like every every radio um, program we record, somehow our guest is either yeah. from California or, or something comes up about California. It's uh, It's really interesting. <laughs> Um, I never lived there, but my wife is is from there, so that's that that counts, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that counts. <laughs> so, and then so so you said that you went to school near Chattanooga at Southern Southern Adventist University, and your goal was to be a missionary, and uh, then you ended up becoming a pastor, which is honestly kind of different but how do you how do you take that missionary mindset into your pastoral ministry um well for my wife and i we still see ourselves as missionaries uh to to a good degree Mm -hmm. um the thing for us the thing that transformed our lives was just uh being able to do uh, mission work whether that's local here um in our neighborhood and our in our cities or whether it's abroad Mm. Um, it's a passion that, that I've always had. And so as a result, um, I'm always involved in one, usually I think it's averaged out to about one local uh, mission um, trip here within the U.S. and one over overseas at least once a year. Mm. Wow. Um, and so it's, it's just something that for me, if, if I, don't, I don't do it, I feel like I'm, it, it's not... Um, I, I can't just sit down and go through the routine uh, over and over. I have to be involved in something that's greater than just myself mm-hmm. and that's impacting um, and possibly changing the world for somebody. Yeah. And, uh, and, and talking about that desire that you have, uh, Dr. Henderson, we were talking just just this morning a little bit about the hurricanes that came through. And even though you know, Hurricane Harvey, Irma, they, they haven't really been on our news radar a whole lot, although you heard something about it on the news this morning. Um, yet that a lot of people are still living through that, and there's a, there's a lot yeah. of stuff that has to happen to, to get life back to normal in those areas. And, uh, and Nacho, I believe that a couple months ago, you were down in Houston on a, on a mission trip, weren't you? Yeah, um, 
so what, what eventually happens when, when in, whenever there's a natural disaster, uh, the media focuses in on it uh, a lot for the first few weeks, uh, especially the immediate days afterwards. And as a result, uh, there's a lot of ministries all over the U.S. and all over, all over the world that will really pour down and help you know, the, uh, these areas that mm-hmm. suffer from natural disaster. Um, with Harvey in Houston, um, the media was there, and after about a week or two weeks, uh, you stop hearing about it. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like uh, our our culture has just become accustomed to it. We, you hear about it, it's in your face, and you're moved to give, you're moved to go. But after about, you know, three weeks to six weeks, uh, you don't hear about it, so it's out of sight and out of mind. Right. And, right. What, and what many of us... Um, fail to recognize is that there's still people that are being affected by it. Um, I mean, the hurricane took place in September, and a friend of mine, uh, Brian Tucker and myself, uh, well, we were able to get down in um, in Houston. We weren't able to get down until November, mm-hmm. and uh, and while we were still, we got there about three months later. Uh, or two months later, and there were still people that weren't living in their home. Wow! Um, yeah. As we we're tra- yeah, as we were traveling down, uh, we thought, you know, in our minds, we're like, well, let's stay in a hotel about you know, two hours away from Houston. That way, where we can find a, a good hotel and we can spend the night, and then we'll get there uh, fresh. But as we look for hotels, even on our drive down there, uh, every hotel was full. Mm-hmm. We called one, and they're like, no, we're sold out. And we kept looking and looking. After about the third one, I, uh, Brian finally uh, said to me, he's like, can you ask them why they're sold out? I mean, because, you know, these hotels that we're trying to book, they're in the middle of nowhere. Right, right. You know, you're not expecting like a big football game <laughs> or a big sports sports event. And so we're like, is there something going on? And uh, the receptionist on the other line, she's like, no, well, it's actually, she said, there's still a lot of people that are displaced. They have no home. Wow. And so our hotels have been full for about two months. And Brian and I, we thought we were going to have to end up sleeping in our car uh, oh, that wow. night. And uh, lucky for us, we called a hotel near the airport and a flight was canceled. And so there was a few rooms available. Mm. And that's mm-hmm. how we, we were able to stay the first night in a hotel. Wow. Wow. And that kind of really kind of brings it home to you. Because, I mean, here in Tennessee, yeah, we hear about it on the news, but we weren't really affected at all. You know, maybe a little bit of extra rain, but uh, that must have really driven it home to you, that just how real this was. Yeah, and, you know, we we volunteered through an organization. Uh, we partnered with an organization called All Hands, uh, which is now called All Hands and All Hearts. Oh, wow. And um, the reason we, we chose to go through this this um, nonprofit was because All Hands had committed to be in the Houston area for two years um, after the event. And so they they will be there uh, till all the houses are basically rebuilt. Oh wow! And everyone has a place to stay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it was it was incredible to be able to volunteer with them uh, and to serve among some different faiths, getting together to uh, literally be the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, some of them believers, some of them non-believers, mm-hmm. and um, everyone just. Uh, going there for that one purpose of helping people that were affected by this natural disaster. Wow. Um, Wow. Can you tell me about anybody that you met? Did you meet anyone either affected by it or one of the other helpers that that really stands out to you? Yeah. um, 
the first house I got to work on, uh, you can actually go online, you can go on YouTube, and if you type in Mr. Cho, uh, C-H-O, and Hurricane Harvey, uh, HBO did a special on, on Mr. Cho, and Mr. Cho really paints the picture for, you know, what happened, what really happened with Harvey, because a lot of us think, like, you know, well, it rained, and the, the houses that got flooded in the rain, those are the ones affected. Mm-hmm. Well, Mr. Cho, if you go on there, you see the story, uh, he tells the story of how, you know, the, the rains were pouring down, and he lives next to a river, but it's about 30 feet down below his house. So he never thought and expected his house to get flooded. Mm-hmm. And so when the rains finally cleared, said he came out of his house and the sun was shining and his house was in the clear. Uh, there was no, no flooding in his area. And what many of us don't understand is the sacrificial flooding that took place in Houston. And um, you might be asking, what is the sacrificial? Yeah, yeah that was my question. Yeah, so what happened with the sacrificial flooding is the levees. Uh, Houston, you know, has grown way beyond what um, the original city founders expected it to be. Mm. And so you have a lot of these areas that are um, flood overflows uh, for whenever the levees fill up okay. that uh, are now developed. And so a lot of housing developers um, cut corners and they push bills and they manage to build houses in what is basically considered flood zones. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's been more than 40 years since uh, they've worked with the levees. And so um, and the Houston has never had, you know, this much water in a few days. Mm-hmm. And so they, they were liter- literally unprepared for it and were never expecting it. And the reality is, you know, unless even our current cities uh, make adjustments for changes in housing patterns, um, a lot of cities uh, can see the natural result, uh, the same result that Houston saw. And so when the levees filled up, uh, the, they had to open the, the levees to let the water out or else more of the city was going to be flooded. Oh, wow. And what we wanted to. And so they had to sacrifice a lot of these houses, a lot of homeowners' houses, in order to save more. Interesting. And, yeah. And so so literally after the flood came, they had to flood Houston again Mm -hmm. to save a bigger part of Houston. Wow. And so Mr. Cho's house was one of those that ended up getting flooded. Mm. Yeah, so, so... Mr. Cho, um, he he built the house uh, by himself, and so he was emotionally attached to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, every wall, every piece of drywall that you tore off his wall, uh, for him, it was like you're tearing a piece of him off mm-hmm. uh, because he built it himself. And uh, the sad thing um, that a lot of people, the, the scenario that a lot of people found themselves in was like Mr. Cho, you know, he's lived there 30 years, 30 plus years, and never once has his house flooded. And so, you know, if you're a normal human being who's lived in your house, if your house is declared not to be in a flood zone, you would normally not want to pay for flood insurance. Right, right. And so people like Mr. Cho, you know, decided I don't need flood insurance because my house, well, first of all, is not in a flood zone. My house hasn't flooded in 30 years and I don't think it will ever flood. Right. And then, and then Harvey came mm. and destroyed his house. Wow. 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 So you have a lot of people like Mr. Cho in, in Mr. Cho's scenario that, you know, they were 
in what we consider non-flood zones that the houses got flooded mm-hmm. and now they have no insurance money and so and this is where all hands steps in and basically provides all the cleaning the muck the gutting the rebuilds for free wow ignacio uh i have one question while you were yeah. there are you aware whether the seventh-day adventist church had a presence there at all uh I'm, I'm not aware of it, at least not in the area where we were working at. Um, I know one of the things our church is really good at is um, getting supplies to people. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. We're really good at that. And, and there's nothing wrong with being good at that. Um, I think too often, uh, as a church organization, as a church structure, we try to cover every base. And it's my personal opinion that we don't have to, because there are other organizations that we can simply partner up with and provide um, provide either people or resources because they're already doing a good job on that. Uh, as Seven Day Adventists, we do a really great job at getting people clothes, getting them food, at getting them water after right. when every when every other ministry leaves, just like they do in in Houston, because as I mentioned, you know, all, all these ministries, all these churches will go to Houston, and they went there for the first month and two months while the media was covering it. Mm-hmm. Right. But after, but after the media stops covering it, all of them leave, and you're, and you're left with other ministries like All Hands and our Adventist Community Services that continue to work while no one is giving them attention. And so our church does really well at the follow-through. Good. Um, Good. So, um, Yeah, Yeah, well, that's encouraging to hear. Um, So we have about one minute left. um, And I just want to ask, how did how did this affect you now coming back? And I know you do trips like this, you know, every year. But uh, how did this affect you? And would you recommend our listeners to try to find some way to serve or to to help out people who who may be in similar situations? Yeah, um yeah. I think more than how it affected me, it's how it affected Brian. Mm. Uh, Brian is, I, I would say, your, your common churchgoer. Um, and he shared with me, you know, Brian ha- doesn't have a story. Uh, he doesn't have a story of, you know, I was in drugs and then I found God uh, story. And so for him, he always felt like, you know, he's just been there mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. church his whole life and never really anything big. And so Brian decided to, you know, take this step and say, hey, I, I want to I do something more. And so the biggest takeaway for Brian, which is, I think, the biggest takeaway anyone can take, is to, he, he was able to see people of different faiths and mm. of no faith being willing to come together to serve something greater than themselves, mm. which is other people. Mm-hmm. And so he was able to see a group of primarily young adults that came and served for free. They weren't getting paid. There was no media coverage. And they just came to serve. Wow. And it's this element of service that many of our churches have really lost sight of. It's this element of mission and being other-focused, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we benefit someone else without expecting to be to get anything in return. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's one of the biggest takeaways uh, from a trip like this, from volunteering with all hands uh, and all hearts, is that you know people, if, if our churches become these epicenters of service and we, we seek the benefit of our community without expecting them anything in return, um, I think that will send a huge and loud message of the God that we serve. Yes. Who literally gives his son to us to die for us, hoping that we come into faith in him, 
the the reality is that many people won't. Yeah. And many will. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the beauty of of being able to serve. Yeah. And being able to see that. What an inspiring story. We really can be missionaries wherever we are. And my challenge to you after listening to this, after hearing the story of Pastor Nacho and, and Mr. Cho, and I'll go ahead and link that video, um, the link to that in the show notes to the video of Mr. Cho there in, there in Houston and Hurricane Harvey. But listening to this story, my challenge for you would be to look at your church, look at what you are doing in the community. Are you practicing these things? Are you seeing your community as a mission field? Are you giving just for the sake of giving? And if you aren't, why don't you start? It doesn't have to be the whole church that starts. You start and other people will get excited. They'll catch a glimpse of the mission that God has for you and for his church. Next week, we're going to be doing part two of our Daniel, uh, our focus on the life of Daniel. And so we're going to be looking at the first part of an exciting story of, of Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar. And when Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that he forgets all about. And so here's a snippet from next week's episode on the life of Daniel. You know, and then he brings Daniel in and, and Nebuchadnezzar asked this question. You alluded to this earlier. Um, you know, he says, are you able to make known to me the dream? Are you able to show me show me the interpretation? And what's Daniel's response? No, I can't. Yeah. No, <laughs> I can't. That is going to be such an exciting story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I mean, just Daniel's humanness, yet his humility and graciousness and his faith and trust in his God. It's just unparalleled. So I hope you'll join us next week for... That episode on Daniel, as Dr. Henderson and I talk about this story in Daniel chapter 2. And in the meantime, I hope you subscribe. If you haven't already subscribed, go to iTunes. Uh, give us a five-star rating. You can find us on the web at faithandhoperadio.com. And also, we're on Facebook at Faith and Hope Radio. And the music that has been provided by Dexter Britton. I hope you have a wonderful day. God bless you and have faith and hope.